This is Shaco Art Speak. Shaco Art Speak. We're here again. Yeah. I just decided just to say Shaco Art Speak is my commentary. <laughs> I, I don't feel comfortable unless I comment on my comment on my comment. <laughs> um, to continue to buffer myself away it's the, from it's the, the annotated introduction. That's exactly right. It feels awkward and good. Um, it's not even awkward. It's just cheeky. Or I don't even know if it's cheeky. It's just nerdy. <laughs> now we've got the annotations it's, of the annotations. That's exactly right. It's, it's dark. It's my own personal dorkdom. <laughs> um, the 10-year-old me that talks that way. But but all seriousness, though, um, we've been working on this uh, prompt from uh, you know a, a visual artist who's excellent, very sharp, who's working in multiple zones. And they, they posed some questions to us that we thought were really good and um, provocative and, but also like deeply, uh, practical. Mm, and yeah. so, um, you know, we had our, uh, what was the first one called? It was dealing with people. It's, it was, um, yeah, it was dealing with the people. So it was the, you know, the, the context, the, the categories for the interactions we have with other people. That's right. So your collectors, your donors. And right. so kind of like looking at the lay of the land in, in these ways that relate to their questions. And then, and then we kind of hunkered into like, uh, the work in a, you know, a kind of more zoomed in way mm-hmm. by comparison. We zoomed into the, some of, I think some good categories to think through work. And we talked about the importance of clarity and, um, having good general categories helps us hone in on specifics, um, that are before our eyes mm-hmm. visually, but also, um, in terms of legibility or, or, or reading or thinking well, uh, and so one of the things we talked about that I think is important, and I think it was evident in the questions we got is writing. So there, uh, the artist that wrote to us had a, a lengthy email with really clear assessments of themselves, mm-hmm. their dilemma and, um, what their desires were and their conflicts. And what was nice about that, it was written out very well. And so it provided a really clear soil to kind of address these questions and think about them for ourselves and for our audience. Mm-hmm. And so Gareth and I have, you know, been kicking it around. Gareth is, uh, in the midst of doing a lot of writing right now. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the importance of writing. I, I, I myself am not a good writer. I have to work very hard at it, but it, it, it is important. I'm a pretty serious reader. And so th- those things are, uh, activate my, um, you know, my ability to discourse with other people through the written, written word. And also, uh, think well on the work we make and engage studio visits and so on. And Gareth has done PhD work and has done a sizable amount of uh, um, writing and, and reading and is uh, actually writing something now, an open source textbook. Um, so you're, you're saying you're writing like a thousand words a day or something like that or. Yeah. Yeah. One, yeah. one to 3000 words a day. Yeah. That's a good time. It's it. That uh, sounds a, a lot of fun. I mean, it feels like feels like running a marathon in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, without moving your legs, but yeah, it has the same sort of. Uh, I mean, it's it's not it's not any different than um, in terms of like the physical exertion. It feels the same as if I were. I've designed books in the past where I've yeah. spent you know six seven hours a day on that. Like it's it feels like the same sort of haul in some right. ways. Right. Yeah. Exhausting. You got to have a lot of elect- ele- ele- electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, stutter. <laughs> um, I've been outside working in the yard, so I'm just thinking about sweating and then imagining sweating over the top of a you know a computer or a typewriter. Yeah, Gareth works on a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be hell on earth. <laughs> <laughs> True story. I passed my first. I think I've said this, but I passed my first English class in college on a typewriter. Mm. 
that's that's a strange. I mean, we're talking like laptops just happened, and I had a the latest greatest model of a typewriter. And as as a kid, I uh, I watched my my mom and dad struggle together um, when my dad was uh, in graduate school on an electric typewriter. Yeah, trying to get the formatting just right. Oh gosh, for like you know a thesis or a dissertation yeah. or something like uh, just you know the having to struggle against tools that were not favorable to the yeah. task. <laughs> yeah, I mean, different world. Very different um, world. Now we carry something far better in our pockets. Yeah. You know, it's, that's a weird thought, you know. But um, but so the written word, it's, it's, it's really important. And, you know, I think it's a component of a designer, a visual artist, a maker. Um, and sometimes it's really key and sometimes it's really not. But I, we do think that it, it's worth talking about when we're when we're trying to process how we um, reflect on what we're doing, yeah, and sometimes it's very helpful to actually uh, get things down into a, a written context. And so, yeah, so I just want to jump off with that. Like it's like ideating through the written word, mm-hmm. um, or or thinking thoughts preemptive to the making or post the making, so that um, you know, for me, the big idea is getting what's unclear in your mind out onto the paper. So it's clear on the page and correcting you or staring you in the face and helping you say, Oh, I keep thinking, I mean this, but when I see it written out, it actually says, you know, this over here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's just enough to, t- to help you realize it's not very clear on the inside. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, I think it's, it, it's interesting because we, um, like we talked about before, Ryan, it, I think that we, we tend to think that like visual arts or, you know, people that make, you know, tangible objects, there's something about writing that is pitted against that. Mm-hmm. You know, like we will say things flippantly like, oh, it's a different side of my brain or mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not a process I'm used to or whatever else. But, um, you know, if I sit down to write something and I start to come up against a block, well, I, I don't keep trying to write. I get up and I do something completely different. Mm-hmm. So we take that situation, we take that scenario, we flip it around and we say, okay, I'm sitting in front of a canvas, sitting in front of a a lump of material. I'm sitting in front of, you know, an open document, some project I'm working on. If I'm getting stuck on that, why wouldn't I want to change seats mm-hmm. then too? Why, you know, why can't we go the other way around where we mm-hmm. say I'm in the studio and I'm not having a really helpful time. I can't make sense of some of the thoughts that I want to get out there and deal with. And mm-hmm. so why wouldn't I then go, well, maybe I should write about it. Um, I've, I've never really heard that conversation come up much within mm-hmm. like art studios mm-hmm. or anything else uh, from time to time you'll have somebody they'll say something like oh yeah writing is a great process to help you just kind of unpack a few things yeah but they don't look at it as uh, you know I don't, I don't know integrated uh, yeah or part and parcel to yeah. the making process um, well what's interesting to me is in in my experience I mean like I had professional practices classes mm-hmm. so a lot of times in your studio classes like you get to um writing in it, it'll come in the form of your pro practice class. Mm-hmm. So it feels like a, a tag on to the studio. Yeah. Um, so you, so what it does is you've been making and then you run across this like imperative to mm-hmm. get clear on your artist statement and your thesis. And, but it feels a little disjointed from your experience in the studio because it hasn't been sort of wet up in there earlier in the process. But then you get into the constraints of academia, which is like a four year program and you're like where and how, and, you know, there's the great benefits of it, but of, of academia, but then there's like where it doesn't 
afford you the space that I think humans are really capable of as far as doing, doing this kind of work. And, um, and so then what happens is sometimes you get artists like say in graduate school that are really exceptional conceptual thinkers. And so they write a lot of work, they write, but what happens is the writing is tied into the the form of their making Mm. and therefore it doesn't feel like it has, uh, you know, pervasive application rather it has unique application to that person's studio practice. If that makes sense, like along the same lines uh, as, as to why maybe I work on a panel with certain colors Mm. it's like, Oh, that's what you do. And it's like, Oh, someone's very articulate in their writing. That's what they do. Not that, Oh, there's a, a kind of a general impact that, um, is helpful at getting clear on on what my intents are and or or even like sometimes your ideas are best expressed in words and it frees you to make other work because you've said it yeah you know yeah, in fact uh, there was a an essay that c.s lewis wrote you know he he's best known for these fantastic this fantastic series of fantasy novels um, and he, this essay was hinging on this idea that uh, words don't work in all situations. Mm-hmm. And likewise, images don't work in all situations. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason that um, if I go to a restaurant and I eat the most amazing meal, that I'm going to take you there with me to experience it mm-hmm. in that respect. I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, let me just write it out for you. Mm-hmm. It's why you don't go into most museums and see a bunch of written stuff on the wall, but it is there mm-hmm. because we can't just provide an image that talks deeply about the artist in very specific ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are limitations yeah. to the, to the language and there are limitations to the image mm-hmm. that if we only stop and say, Oh, there's just limitations. We don't get to the point that no, they actually become highly complementary, So mm-hmm. they become integrated sort of uh, structures with each other. Yeah that can prop each other up in the ways where the other isn't strong. So it comes a complementary nature between image and text that is hugely interesting. And not just in the sense of, yeah, I make a body of work and now I have an artist statement, Mm -hmm. but you've made a body of work because you understand, and this may be getting to uh, get into things we don't really deal with this episode, but um, I can make images and I can communicate images um, because we have a shared language between us and an understanding mm-hmm. of what that language is and how it works. So I know this object will mean the same thing to you because we share some reference points mm-hmm. that is language. Yeah. Um, and so there's a larger conversation, I think, that goes into it where um, it, it's hugely important to mm-hmm. um, inject writing into what we do mm-hmm. more than just like you're saying is like, Oh, it's just a part of your making or it's a tag on at the end. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's something, there's something about these different modes of creation that are helpful for each individual mode. Yeah. And I think, I think, I guess what I, as someone who, who struggled with writing, so, but not, not because I don't have a value for it, just, you know, uh, struggle, struggle to do it. I, I tend to, um, takes me a long time. And so uh, there's a richness that comes through the wrestling, if I can get into the space to wrestle, that untangles the knots of my thinking about my work because the work is what it is, and it's only the the thinking that has muddled up what I think it is. So what I'm trying to say is sometimes it's all in my head, and the work is what it is. And those two things are not the same thing. And so you miss out on the opportunities by not getting clarity on what you're feeling or what you're thinking. 
and how that may or may not really be about your work or what visually stands before you and therefore someone else. And so the times that I've really worked it out, um, you know, in writing, it's alleviated certain pressures and certain tensions and replaced them with clarity. And the clarity clears the space for my eyes to see well through the categories that we talked about yesterday. Yeah. And so like, you know, I would, cause I would say that like, when you look at like poetry or you look at, um, there are effects in poetry mm-hmm. or, you know, or there's like the, you brought up CS Lewis. There's a book he wrote called the great divorce and, you know, I'll give it a spoiler alert. It's, it's a great literary device, but he's, he's in a world where he's being brought along and you're, re, you're experiencing time temporally as you read the book along with the character who's, who's engaging with this angelic figure. And they're talking about this afterlife and, and um, he gets to a point where he's like, he wants to go back to where he came from. And you're in that text, textual reality with them. And when they point back, he says, uh, he points back to where they, he came from and it's a small hole in the ground. Yeah. He's like, you can't go back. You don't fit anymore. And the effect was like, I was having the same experience with the character in the book. Uh-huh. It's like, oh my gosh, I, what I've read will not permit me to go back to where I was at before I started. Uh-huh. That's an incredible effect. Oh yeah. You know, the, the effects of the text, of the way the story was uh, uh, bringing you in and focusing you along a certain cadence and interpersonal exchange between two types of figures in a very solid reality, uh, the escalation of those effects brought you to a point of being affected that way where you're, you're, you're literally having the same feelings as the character assumably is happening. Uh-huh. I can't go back. I've been changed. And it's like, wow, you know, that's from words conjuring images. So that, that whole like, you know, it's that whole idea that they're composed. All of those things are there. They're con- right. they're, there's dynamism. Oh, yeah. What are the mechanics of this? Like, you know, is it, is it poetic? Is it, you know, is it, um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, but um, I, I always say that, pictures are worth a thousand words and words are worth a thousand pictures uh-huh. to your point about the complementary nature and um in in wrestling out or even jotting down ideas let lets them not live in my head in a way where they become an unwelcome like a couch surfer in your in your mind that's just sitting on the couch too long you know and they've overworn their welcome uh-huh. sometimes you got to get them out yeah you know and you got to see them for what they are and uh um, I think this is tangential, but I, I just want to say I think that the world we've been living in, which we might see some changes now, uh, had been stilling us of our the way in which we value our time, which was leading a lot of us to not to into false either or dilemmas. I either paint or I write, uh-huh. as opposed to both, and uh-huh. saying no to something else. You, you see what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. So like. You know, I think this topic is timely just because I think it's an opportunity for us to take a deep breath and step back and kind of gather our thoughts about our studio practice, about our neighbors, about society. You know, like I, I think we need some of that. Somebody needs to, uh-huh. you know, I don't know. Well, you know, it's, it was interesting. A few episodes back, we had Curtis in the studio mm-hmm. and he was talking about painting. And at one moment, one of the things he said really stuck out to me when he said it and is now, I think, even more kind of pertinent to this conversation is he said that whenever he begins to conceive of a painting, the way he records his ideas is with the title of the painting. Mm-hmm. And the why 
I think is most important to the conversation we're having, which was, he said, I did that because that, that title holds all the visual together. Mm-hmm. So it's a sense of kind of like you're saying, making sense of stuff, um, you know, and um, that level of consideration requires to slow down in some places. It requires reflection in different ways um, to sit with an idea and to write about it or to speak about it in a way where you are, you know, seeking better understanding, where you are moving towards more clarity, where you are trying to unpack all the pieces of it um, is a worthwhile pursuit for all the reasons you're saying, Mm -hmm. because we live in a world that is constantly asking us to speed up, speed up, speed Mm -hmm. up, speed up. Yet we are each existing as makers in practices where we understand the value of slowing down and considering our choices that we're making. So we have a world that is oppositional outside of ourselves to the world that many of us feel very deeply inside of ourselves. And I think writing is one of the best mechanisms for that pace to kind of slow. Mm-hmm. Because I can, I can be very gestural with what I'm doing in my work. I can, I, can, I can do things at a pace and a speed, and I can do that with my writing as well. But there is, uh, especially if you're coming from the visual side of things and moving into writing as a new practice, um, there is going to be a, a kind of a, 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 a jerky, stultified way that you do it that will force you to slow down as well. So even if I were to put, you know, a, a kind of title on it as like, a, you know, writing can be a very, um, like, a anxiety-reducing practice. Uh, you know, that I think that's something that's uh, to be considered as well. Um, if you've got a pace in the studio where you're just constantly having to churn things out and make stuff, like, it's good to sit back and write about it and have that kind of uh, reflective nature of what you're doing. Uh, to make sense of things because there is so much in the world that I think is very much calling us to not always consider everything, to just keep moving, to keep progressing, to keep Yeah, moving. there's a there's that progression. There's like a way that you're being tugged and not not being invited to make sense of. So you're yeah. experiencing, but you're not making sense of. And I think those are complementary but not the same thing necessarily. Right. And so um the at the disciplined act of stepping back. I mean, I, I just keep thinking like in, in contemporary American art, there's a rich history of, 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 of people that have written whole tomes that be, become, became the ideological groundwork for their work. So Peter Halley wrote all kinds of stuff about his work in a, early on in a way that was a little, you know, some folks I guess would say it was a little pretentious, but, but he was really creating a, a ideological framework to help people understand why and what he was doing and how he thinks about it. And it was really uh, interesting. And Frank Stella's written interesting stuff. I mean, um, um, there's so many, I mean, there's so many artists that, um, uh, I, I want to get uh, Jack Witten's book on, I think, I forget what it's called, but it, it deals with his journal. Mm. You know, and he passed a few years ago, and um, I've read some quotes from there, and it's just, like, really compelling. You're like, man, if this person didn't voice these things this way, you, you're not getting it exactly that way from their work, you're, it, which is not a diminishment of their work. It's just to say that there's such a fullness to us that isn't all the way expressed merely in the work, the visual work. It's, it's both end. And, and, you know, you, even, like, you know, you think about, like, um, liner notes in a CD or something, if you like, like a musician, and then you... 
you see them write something that isn't a song and there's a difference there and you're like, whoa, like it can either cheapen the music, you know, or it can like deepen it because you're like, you're getting a, a, a greater window of depth into the person themselves. Okay. And um, I think the thing for me that I've struggled with with this is um, now, you know, doing the director stuff I to write little statements. Mm-hmm. And that's been helpful for me writing little statements, directing, curating shows for Shaco Art Space because it, it helps me be concise and summarize uh, a, a bit of what I think is there in an uh, upcoming show with an artist. And, and the hope is that it supports the work and doesn't override the work with, with an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really good, it was a really good discipline kind of out of practice because we haven't had, we, you know, we're stalled out because of COVID, but that practice was helpful for me be, and it was keeping me sharp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it took me a while to get into that headspace. But once you get there, it has a great value cause it starts to, um, give you different tools to sharpen and work with. Um, so even like a modest practice, I think, uh, has, uh, really great benefits. I, I, I mean, I don't, even as someone who doesn't, you know, would always like, like my wife, Laura has always been my savior when it comes to writing because she'll, you know, she'll always encourage me and just say, well, you just need a good editor. Like, you know, yeah. and she's a good editor. She'll edit my, my writing. Um, when, when I ask and, um, but the benefits there, even when I get the good editor, cause now I've got somebody else interacting with my written text and then yeah. I'm getting a first responder kind of experience on like how, they're understanding it. And if they're not understanding it, it may be that's not understandable. And that conversation is helpful. Like, mm. oh, I'm just not clear. Yeah. Like yeah. what is marinating my brain is not clear. It's intuitive and it's experiential, but it's not actually uh, understandable. Uh-huh. You know, it doesn't make sense. And um, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, I, think I think there's a, just, there's just a rich history to it for those that have, but that's not wedded tightly to the practice, I guess is the point. You yeah. know? I mean, it's, you know, and I think about graphic design, if you think about the history of graphic design, you could almost say that it, it coalesces as a, as a, as a, a part of the arts, um, you know, in the 18th and 19th centuries or 19th and 20th century, excuse me. Um, mainly because there was such a rich discourse that was going on. There was a conversation that was happening where, um, you're having to make sense of this, 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 and this all in the same spaces. And so multiple writers were adding to this conversation and they were reading each other and they were, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, formulating these ideas where people had to say, well, actually what we're doing might actually be very different Mm -hmm. than these other things. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there was a, you know, there is a very rich history in writing within the arts that, um, I mean, trying to think the first time how far into, it may have been even grad school before I really read any sort of essay. Mm-hmm. Like I've written something, you know, that wasn't like a textbook right, about the arts. Right, when I actually right, read right. writing of an artist, and yeah, and that had the same effect. Like you're talking about some of the the books you're mentioning that uh, it kind of shook me and was like, wow, there's there's a very rich interior mm-hmm. to this. Yeah, um, another point of uh, connection that's hugely helpful. Um, and you know, and it's interesting because we have our conversations with ourselves in the studio. Right. We're talking to ourselves. We're using language to help us make sense of what we're doing or to berate us for how badly we're doing it or whatever else. Um, but we don't usually invite more people into that. And I think there is also something very vulnerable about the 
practice of writing and that it is a public endeavor, mm-hmm. right? That, uh, yeah, there, there's journaling and there's things like that. And those are helpful in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. But, um, you know, when, when we, when we sit down to do writing, I think most of us appreciate an audience, mm-hmm. somebody who's reading it or being a part of it. Um, but I don't know that we share that. Um, when I taught, um, within another, uh, another unit of the school, um, one of the classes I taught dealt heavily with, with writing and the biggest concern for students was exactly what it is in every studio class. They're like, yeah, I mean, I'll write. That's fine. I'm just not going to show it to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, don't make me do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? Why is that? You know, it's uh, because this is at its base. It's a, it's a public thing. It's yeah. something that should be shared. Well, also, I think because you can't, um, you can't talk around it very, very well. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. plain. Like what you what you give is what's there to whatever extent that that is the case for you, mm-hmm. and once that's there and then it's read, ideally you can't defend it in a certain way, you know. Right. Like, and and so like you're you're left with an account of what you could do at that moment, mm-hmm. and all all its pluses and minuses are you know it's revealing. Right. It's not just clear for you; it's clear for others. And the fear of of judgment, I think, is uh is so great. And, you know, nobody historically is so great, especially in the last 20 years or so maybe, but nobody wants that, Um, you know, but it feels like we're shifting to such an extent that I don't know, I don't know what people want when it comes to the written word, Hmm. you know, in in an enduring sense. I mean, I think... You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I, I know we, we communicate, we text, we, it's amazing. You know, we mm-hmm. think about like how many ways we use language, but, um, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just like thinking aloud, like, wow, like, you know, what will a studio practice look like 10 years from now? You know, and, and like, what would it mean to, you know, is it, is it, is it like, are people going to think of writing as archaic? At some point, you know what I mean, like yeah, I mean, um, it's a fair question. I mean, the you know the 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 industry in the in the United States that was is very much built around writing um, mm-hmm. has suffered huge losses in the last twenty or yeah. thirty years, yeah. um, in all areas, pretty much except for like books. Yep, right. People are still buying books, but you know, th- when I was coming through undergrad, there were there were graphic design magazines and journals and things that I was looking at left and right. I would go to the library yeah, oh yeah. every month and yep. get these things Big time. and they are no longer, they around. don't exist, They're man. Maybe a blog. Yep. Yeah. And blogs are like, I mean, you, you almost don't read blogs. You're like, yeah, it's a blog. I mean, so even that's been consumed up, but yeah, no, I mean, totally like, you know, I'd love to, you know, we, one of the goals that we had for even doing this podcast is we wanted, we wanted to launch a journal. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, it's like that's still on the table. I mean, it's not off the table, but it isn't exactly what it was. It's like, you know, there's a there's questions there. We're not we're not totally sure. You know, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's like um, there's a lot of infrastructure and and do people have the desire to read and be discourse with? Mm-hmm. But um, what I what I like or what I hope is that there's a a deeper persistence. In the man, like in the way in which people are are what they are, mm-hmm. that will always necessitate um, deeper reflection. Mm-hmm. And I, I would like to hope that um, artist, maker, culture designer uh, folks, that some uh, would 
uphold to that challenge to yeah. to think well, to speak well, mm-hmm. you know, and to uh, make well. I mean, I, and not compromise for one of the three, but be all three. Right. And, and one thing I'd, you know, add to that, if we're talking about this idea of, you know, kind of navigating opportunities, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to see how um, just saturated our society is with the visual, right? Whether it's stationary or moving visual, whether it's, you know, whatever else, we have no problem coming across something that's been made. That's just a, an image mm-hmm. of some nature. Um, but we are seeing, like I was saying in the last, you know, two, three, four decades, uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, the writing gone. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a huge opportunity within the arts uh, for writing to um, writing that is good, mm-hmm. writing that is strong, um, to really um, see a resurgence yeah. in types, right? Um, and and at least from my experience, when, when I have uh, taught writing within my classroom, to people who are predominantly makers, the um, by the end of the semester, there is always an appreciation that mm-hmm. happens. And in very few cases, do you have somebody just like, nah, it was a wasted effort. Yeah. But they're like, wow, this actually, like, this is very helpful. It helps me make sense of some things or see things differently or whatever it may be. Um, and also, when you have folks who you say, hey, here's a book that would be good, they really appreciate the way in which they interact with writing mm-hmm. in a slower pace and a quieter pace. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity within, within the space we operate for those things to happen. I would, you know, I, in undergrad, uh, you know, I talked to friends about like, Hey, let's start this, like let's start an underground press, right? Let's, let's have these books. Let's do some stuff. And you hear stories from, you know, the turn of the century and turn, turn of the 20th century into the 1950s and sixties. And you have like all of these like independent publishers that are doing things and making stuff and they're putting stuff out there. And it's all like this huge marketplace of ideas that are just being thrown around. And we like to say that the internet is that now, but it's not because I'm not touching it. Mm-hmm. I don't have my hands on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, and we say that, you know, like, Oh, right. Is writing is prolific and, and it's, it, it can be everywhere because you know, the internet has enabled that. Um, and it's like, oh, well, cool. Well, let's shut down the museums, too, because there's plenty of images online, too. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case, right? So I, I, w- I would love, like, I, I'd love in the next, you know, six months to get an email from somebody who's like, hey, I heard your podcast. And, yeah, me and two, th- two friends started this, uh, this thing, and we, we put out two, you know, uh, short books on X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've had a lot of friends, you know, I wrote for someone's, exhibition for another gallery like I wrote for their like a little book they did and uh, we had a conversation and they've been around a while and you know there was a way that critics kind of took took that mantle and and mm-hmm. I, you know okay so it's kind of sappy but I was just thinking about love letters love letters uh, you know you get a nice letter from someone that loves you or you know I don't just mean romantic but just like just using that language mm-hmm. um, you know it, it can rightly communicate something mm-hmm. you know, almost in a way that n- nothing else can. And in a lot of ways, the work we make, you'd like to have some letters written about it. Okay. And a lot of artists want that. There's a nostalgia for critical discourse and writing about work. And, and, and so, but there's very little heart to do that work. So there's a deference to someone else to do it. And so like even in Richmond, there was a lot of, there's a few writers we know of, but then it's just a, it's a desert when it comes to that. And everyone's waiting for someone to do it. Because yeah. I've talked to a lot of people, including galleries that want it, and that's not just here in this city. That's that's here in, in a lot of major cities in, in mm-hmm. the United States and around the world. 
And so um, a lot of people want it, but no one's doing it. So there's something there. Yeah. Um, and there's a recognition of what's missing or what's lost. And, um, and for me, um, you'd like to see it come from other makers, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to see it from non-makers, right. but I'd like to see it, you know, I'd like to see it from just writer writers, but I'd love to see more makers because I'd like to hear their ordinary thoughts too yeah. about their work. I don't want to just hear, here's the thing. I'm afraid that academia in the good intentions of being progressive and growing and striving after the future, uh, accidentally got some people to feel like their ordinary thoughts about things and their work weren't academic enough. Uh-huh. And what happened was people just stopped trying at all. Right. And therefore that the kind of stuff of life has been eviscerated from the equation. And so the, the academics feel cold and um, opportunistic sometimes. Yeah. So what, you know, the soul needs to be back in the, the, the equation, I think. And um, I, I think we're going through a paradigm shift in society across the globe. You know, I think we're seeing protests and things like that. I suspect we will see a proliferation of writing um, uh, to articulate states that are states of mind. I don't mean like uh, actual states, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean like states of being. Right. I'm sure that's going to happen because there's people that are going to be compelled to the point that they have to. Yeah. And I just like to think that artists feel that way too, you know, mm-hmm. um, in an, in, in like an enduring way. Um, because you can't, it's, it's just hard to, I was thinking about, so one of my favorite back and forth was with, with mentioning Jackson Pollock again, which is hilarious, but <laughs> Jackson Pollock, uh, told Hans Hoffman to shut up and paint because mm-hmm. he said, you talk too much and you write too much. <laughs> and it's interesting because, if, if, you know, I, as, as a, in the heyday of being a painter, I was like, you know, just like really learning this stuff. I was like, yeah, just paint, you know, but, um, but I loved reading Hoffman's work on painting. So, th- mm. so, you know, and then, and then, you know, you look and, you know, Hoffman lived a little longer than Pollock and then you wonder who, who it's, it's really a false dilemma, but right. it's a fun dilemma. So the fun dilemma, the fun false dilemma is who, who had more of an impact mm-hmm. depends on what, you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, no one else is allowed to paint like Jackson Pollock. You can't do it. It, it is a one-time deal. It, mm-hmm. it just looks too derivative. You can't just, you splash paint on a canvas, you're copying Jackson Pollock, done. Hans Hoffman's ideological musings on the plasticity of paint and that kind of thing, I mean, I'm still talking about it. It's like yeah. half the people don't even know, but tons of people don't even realize how much his words have um, power for what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, or clarity for what you're doing. And then there's people that do and they don't talk about it, you know? And so it's, it's, a uh, it's kind of an interesting thought, you know, that the, the guy that was told to shut up and, and paint maybe won out in terms of, um, positive contribution for more people through his written word. Again, that's a false dilemma. It's kind of a, um, a dumb thought, but just kind of like this tension's been there, you know? And, uh, I think sometimes what's happened is the vision of what you're supposed to be has been too narrow. And so you get a lot of types of folks that want to write and they feel chastised by the makers that don't want to write. And so they become historians. Hmm. So, you know, they, they vocationalize to the detriment of making. And so then, then they're historians, but something in their historicizing is anemic 
because they're not makers anymore. They lost their love. Yeah. You see what yeah, I'm saying? Definitely. Like, yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, there was a, a, a neat delineation that I heard someone make uh, this past week listening to a podcast. They were talking about... Uh, they were talking about scholarship and the delivery of scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were kind of, they didn't I like that. It wasn't discussed in the same way we're talking about, but it was very much uh, the same kind of idea where there, there, there are people that are able to uh, think. Let's just, we could broadly just call them academics, philosophers, whatever. Sure. Right. But those are not always the same people that are able to communicate well right. why that thinking is important or matters to an everyday kind of person. Mm hmm. And so then the question in, in the very like um, the very stunted uh, way that we address questions um, is to then go, oh, well, then which one's more important? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That, that's not it. It's like we do need people that think well and we do need people that communicate well and we need people that, that, that feel well. We need all these things because there is a cohesiveness, this ecosystem mm-hmm. we always talk about, this stuff where uh, we look at uh, a holistic view of society and the communities that we create and mm-hmm. the way that we build the world, either in uh, you know helpful or detrimental ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so do I need to be able to sit down and some people can kind of pour through uh, esoteric academic papers mm-hmm. that uh, have like tough ideas to deal with? Yeah, we need those folks. And we also need the folks who can sit there and say, you know what, I understood that. Mm-hmm. But I know that a lot of folks didn't. So I can make sense of it. Or I can incorporate to my work well. Mm-hmm. Or I can muse on these ideas visually because the words are rattling around in my brain mm-hmm. and I can try to make sense of them in a makerly way. Mm-hmm. We need all of that. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's, it, it, we're too, I think we're too happy to say, hey, let's chop this out. Let's chop this out. Let's be efficient. Let's be to the point. Let's be direct. Let's be two, 240 characters or less. Let's be mm-hmm. whatever um, that we stop to say. Actually, there's a beautiful flourishing wholeness that can be a part of the world around us if we just kind of stop a little bit, mm-hmm. allow for strengths and weaknesses to be real things, allow for uh, some time to focus and learn and mm-hmm. maybe be bad at stuff and get better at it. Um, and I think writing gets at all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you if you have you, if you met any sort of author who has been writing for a long time, especially someone who's like a poet. There, if you ever come in contact with those people, there is a very apparent air around them. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's like a calmness, there's mm-hmm. like a, even a serenity, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I think it has to be um, in the same way. Anything that requires that much attention is going to necessitate a stillness, a quietness, mm-hmm. and, and a clarity, and a clarity. Yeah. It's just yeah, yeah. It's like, magnetic. Yeah. I mean, because you're just like, how do I get a piece of that? Right. You know, because I'm over here, total basket case, anxiety yeah. ridden, and I'd love to have a little stillness right now. Yeah. Well, so land, land in the plane. Here's like, I guess, where the big idea. How does this relate to the last two episodes? When we go back to the first of the three episodes, this being the third, um, the question was around like personal work and um, uh, commissioned work, and I think the in those dilemmas, sometimes it feels like personal work is intuitive to me and hard to explain to another. Mm-hmm. And the practice of not communicating that means you feel like you're stuck in that either or dilemma. So you feel like you're going to have to make less personal work for this 40 work commission that will live permanently, which I think, you know, if you're listening artist, you should do. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that says the door is closed to without knowing specifics, the door is closed to you having very clear thoughts 
in ways of articulating that in a written manner that can be presented to a council, mm. a commissioner, yeah. a curator, a collector, this governing body that's deciding on these permanent pieces to say, my work addresses these things. My work includes this. And to the point that they say, that's what we want. And lo and behold, the 40 pieces are both what they want and what you do in a more tightly bound expression. So sometimes artists do themselves a disservice because they don't know how to communicate the work that's most personal to them, but that's the work they want people to see the most. And, um, and so to work at that articulation, um, is a loving service Mm -hmm. to other people. Um, and it, it, it's a caring thing. It's like a, and it, and it, 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 it's a serve service to you kind of thing. It's not a violation of, of, the authenticity of your work. You're not compensating. Mm-hmm. It's just that the world's so full that it requires this kind of communication. And to write about other people's work, I think is a loving act and an act that is uh, to be on the receiving end of is, is a, is a beneficial experience. And it, it has this potential to draw uh, more into a meaningful encounter with a singular thing. And so just, just as some thoughts, you know, like yeah. kind of like tying it together to, you know, why would we even kind of muse around this topic mm-hmm. for a little bit is it, it's got to be somewhere bound up in the equation. Right. Um, and because it has a role to play in, in activating opportunities, mm-hmm. uh, it has a role to play in, in rehearsing or finding out that you have patterns of thought and communication that once they become more apparent to your eyes, you can say, I, I'm just going to own that. I know that I say this all the time, so... I mean, I've got tons of things that are just pattern responses because nothing has dissuaded me from believing those is true. So I feel comfortable saying them. They're clear to me. They're clear to me. They're not inauthentic. I inhabit them. I believe them. Right. But but I have come come to those over thoughtfulness and time, writing and thinking and reading about it. And uh, until because I you know that's the other thing I guess I want to throw out there is like off the air we get a lot of folks that ask us questions like how do you know this stuff or where did you learn that or you know, how did you get to this point? And it's like, well, a lot of practice, like a lot of honing in, mm-hmm. a lot of repetition and, um, and a lot of like humility to n- admit what, like what there is still to know enough to, to want to know or, or listen to other people, you know, hear from other voices right. um, is a big one. It's like, you can't be a reader if you don't want to hear from other people. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it can't just be like you and your studio just sitting there trying to be an original, mm-hmm. um, there's so much richness to the voices of other people like that throughout history. Um, and so, um, but it does mean that the volume and output changes a little bit because you do have to slow down. The, que- the question for me is, is slowing down, slowing down, or is everybody else is going too fast? And is that what, you know, you know, is that one of the accidental byproducts of this challenging time we're in? You know, is that we really have been, a lot of us have been forced to slow way down. So, um, I don't know. I hope, I hope somewhere in there, there's some, something in this that's, uh, you know, worth it for our listeners to kind of take a, like a little bit of time and, you know, think about, uh, you know, just the importance of actually practice the practice of writing, you know, and reading, I think I just throw in there. Yeah. And I would say like, you know, if, if, if you find yourself out there nodding in agreement, like great, wonderful, you know, that's fantastic. But if, if you listen this far and you're just like, nah, I don't buy it. I don't get it. I don't, I don't think that's it. Then, I mean, I would, I would honestly just challenge whoever might be in that headspace and say, hey, we'll just spend two weeks and every day just 
write a little bit about your work? I dare you. Like and and double and, dog dare you. And just see, because I mean, if it does nothing for you, great. What what have you what have you missed out on? Uh, a few minutes each day for a couple of weeks, no big deal. Um, but if it does do something to actually enrich your practice, if it does do something to help you make better sense of the work you do for other people, um, then great. Because you know the reality is. Um, as makers, we get what's going on most of the time with other makers' work. Mm-hmm. We can see it. We, can, we have inroads. We've been a mm-hmm. part of that kind of the bubble world of art school. We're the si- seismologists that are deep underground. We, yep. know, we, we know it first. We're, we, we respond first. We see it first. But for other people, their still uh, main mode of communication is written and spoken language. Yep. So the more you can elucidate on what you're doing through words, the easier it is to really uh, you know, get some people going nuts about what you do yeah. because they, they can see it. They can understand it. They don't have to ask, okay, now tell me what's going on in this piece mm-hmm. because you've already started to speak about it. Yep. And so that's, there's a lot of stuff there. Journal, um, at least journal. Yeah. At least, I mean, you know, write something. We dare you. We <laughs> triple dog dare you. <laughs> yeah, Gareth writes every time we do an episode. So yeah, he I, does it. Don't, don't <laughs> judge him. He's already doing it. <laughs> every time we do one of these, Gareth writes it. Yeah, he writes so, a little something for you. Yeah, so I mean, it's just a little bit, but it's enough to keep yeah. you going. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like it's just like other stuff we've talked about. You don't have to be, you know, this isn't cliff jumping, right? This is wading in the baby pool. Nobody's yeah. expecting you to be yeah. going to the the the, the top pinnacle. The only cliff jumping I do is off of cliff bars, <laughs> which means that I'm not really jumping. The cliff bars jump into your mouth. Exactly. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, I think on that note, it's a fantastic way to say <laughs> yeah. we'll check you next time. As yep. always, we love be you. Safe. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.